Well, if Stempunk had money, <laughs> we would sponsor. <laughs> Stempunk oh, do not have money. No, neither does in situ sense. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back, you're listening to In Situ Science. I'm your host, James O'Hanlon, and this episode I'm joined by our first repeat guest on In Situ Science. I'm joined by scientist, science communicator, science advocate, Tom Gordon. Tom, hi. welcome to my home. It's, it's a lovely, warm, It's very warm. Friendly. <laughs> We're um, sitting by a fire with a large, large hound yeah. at our feet. This is very homey. <laughs> yeah, it's fantastic. I'm loving it. And you were up, you're up here visiting me in the, the New England Tablelands. What yep. brings you to Armadale? So the outreach program that, uh, that I have, Kickstarts, is uh, it's all about, you know, like I said before, it's all about um, showing high school students the, the science, that's, or physics in particular, mm. in their syllabus that they may not have access to. Yeah. Um, in the second year lab at the School of Physics at Sydney Uni. Mm. And we realised that not only do some schools not in, in Sydney don't have access to that, but also schools in Armadale or mm. regional areas don't even have access to Sydney. So we yeah. packed up all the stuff that we have in a ute, and on Monday we drove up here and we spent Tuesday and Wednesday in Armadale High School. Mm-hmm. We brought in schools from all around the region, from up to a couple of hundred kilometers away, who mm. brought their students. There was a school with two students who drove three hours. It's just amazing. They just, they, they put in the effort to come and see the stuff that we've got. Yeah. And, and so we put in the effort to come out here because it's important, I think. I mean, it's funny to think that there is that imbalance or inequality in, in education mm-hmm. in the regional areas. Because Armadale's not, it's not in the sticks. It's it's not that far. Like, yeah, it's quite a. It's got lots of facilities here, and yeah. there's a university in town. So it's yeah, it, it's quite amazing that there is that difference between city and and regional yeah, yeah areas. And and we only like so I'm I'm one person, and I have a a team of twenty or so students that help me. But we can only get out with all of those resources. We can only get out to Armdale and Dubbo in a year. Yeah, and there are plenty of other places. And these are both really big regional centres. Yeah, yeah, big regional centres. Great to get out to know, Lightning Ridge. Or... Yeah, amazing. Um, <laughs> we went to Broken Hill a couple of years yeah. in a row, and that was really, really tough to mm. get out there. Um, but absolutely worth it. Mm. Broken Hill's a lovely place. Do you find that they're more appreciative than city, suburban schools? Uh, uh, that's a tough question. So uh, sometimes, yes. Are you allowed to say these things? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't. I don't think they are. Mm. But that's not because that doesn't mean they're less appreciative. Yeah. They're appreciative. Yeah. Um, but that and that does. Yeah, that doesn't mean if they, if we didn't come here, they would probably be a bit disappointed. Mm. Having you know, so Wagga, we don't go to Wagga, mm. and. We have gone to Wagga in the past, and I'm sure that they might they might be like, well, why don't they come here? Mm. They might have their other programs, and they might have their other communities that they do that to. But yes, I don't think they're more appreciative, but I think they are appreciative. Yeah, I don't think it's about yeah being 
more appreciative because they're in the country so they get less things. Mm -hmm. I would hope that they don't get less things. If we have a good education system, they won't get less things. (laughs) So Um, why does a university want to do outreach to schools? Don't they have their own students to do with? uh, I think there's three reasons why, Mm -hmm. why I do my job, which is from a university doing outreach to schools. Mm. Uh, one of them is um, education. I want to actually teach people stuff, mm-hmm. and I think we do. One of them is um, engagement. Well, I'd flip those around because, you know, whatever. The other one is engagement, which is giving people the warm fuzzies about <laughs> science. So if I say, hey, physics, quantum mechanics, mm. they don't run away screaming or you know, lying down in a heap on the floor. Mm. They, they remember good things about science. They're engaged. They want to know more. And the third one is enrollment. Yeah. And that's, that's the, the shill, right? That's me saying, <laughs> go to Sydney University. Yeah, we yeah. come to Armadale and we thing. say, go to Sydney Uni. Yeah. And they're like, uh, there's one next door. <laughs> <laughs> um, so they're the three reasons I do it. Mm-hmm. Um, so for Sydney Uni, it's about um, marketing, engagement, and education. Mm-hmm. I think it's a university's responsibility to educate as many mm. people, not just the university students. Yeah. Well, I guess universities are meant to be these hubs of knowledge and expertise yeah, exactly. and advancement. Exactly. So exactly. It's good that they're still doing things that aren't completely selfish. Yeah. And that's, and, and that's the stuff I research too, right? mm. education stuff. So I'm looking at education, not in university, but in high school. And I think that should be, that, that should be part of what university mm. does. Well, when we, when we last spoke, you were in the early stages of a PhD, as well as being working in science outreach. You're doing your own research into the actual science behind outreach. Yeah. And how it works and why it works. Yep. How's it going since we last checked in with you? So, uh, as you mentioned, every PhD student goes through depths a of A mental despair. breakdown, I think I said. <laughs> Depths of despair at figuring out, you know, what what am I doing? I don't even know yeah. what I'm doing. I'm there right now. That's what I'm doing. I don't I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Um. So when we last spoke, I had, I'd only just enrolled. Yeah. And I enrolled because I was almost dead to write a paper, and I did, which was accepted. And I thought, okay, well, if I keep doing this, I'm going to get enough of a story happening that's that's equivalent to, uh, you know, a thesis. A thesis, yeah. right? So that was that was the plan, but the paper that I wrote is is not worthy of. If you if you extend that, it's not worthy of a PhD thesis. And yeah, I'm okay it's a small with that. part of a larger picture. Yeah. I I knew that it wasn't you know groundbreaking, mm-hmm. but I also knew that it's it's the first part in like you said in that story. Mm-hmm. So to make that story, I've got to ask a better question, mm-hmm. not just can I change one thing and measure one very simple thing. Yeah. And do some extremely basic, you know, manipulation of data. That's that's all it was. Mm-hmm. So now I've got to ask a better question. Mm-hmm. So now what I'm trying to do, like any good scientist, is read lots of other things around the place and try and bring in um, knowledge from other areas. Mm-hmm. So at the moment, I've kind of started with a group that are mainly linguists. Okay. Yeah, which is exciting. Yeah. Trying to to use a linguistic tool um, for physics education. Um, the linguistic tool is called um, semantic 
gravity. It's I really, like the sign of this. this. It's really quite cool, <laughs> right? Um, it's it's in this this new area that's ha- happening, you know, in the next building at Sydney Uni called mm-hmm. cognitive load theory. It's about how we learn mm-hmm. and how we use language in learning and how language is used in learning as well. It's a big catch-all, right? But one of these things is semantic gravity. So the concept is... Um, yeah, so this is my 80-minute um, elevator, elevator pitch. pitch. <laughs> yep. The concept is, if I say a word like uh, one, mm-hmm. you know what that is. It's, it's very, a number. It's very concrete yep. to the actual thing that I mean. I could say one, and you get that. Yeah. Um, or I could say table, yep. and you, or that table. I could point to that table that you made, right? And you know very well what that is. Yeah. Um, very concrete. It has a very high semantic gravity. It's connected to what it means. Mm-hmm. Yes. So I could extend that and go and say X. Instead of one, I could say X. It still means the same thing, but it's more general. Mm-hmm. So removed from... It's abstract now. So it's removed from the thing. I'm still talking about that one thing, mm-hmm. but it's removed. And that's got a very low semantic gravity because yep. it's not connected. It's abstract, not concrete. Yeah. Right? Um, or in, you know, in the other example, I could say, um, household furniture mm-hmm. or, um, something like that. And it's still talking about that table, but it's not that table. Um, it's just, yeah, whatever I could say, uh, I put my wine glass on that table, or I could say household furniture display various characteristics and features. Yeah. Still saying the same thing. It's very interesting to hear. This new concept, which as communicators, we should have heard of this earlier, yeah, right? I know. So, so the next thing I say, you'll probably have heard of, right? Yeah. So I can go from something that's very concrete to very abstract. Yeah. And it might take me a certain time to do that, right? And of course, we're scientists. We see a change over time. We graph that, right? <laughs> so that's what I'm doing. I'm trying to see that change in abstraction or semantic gravity over time. Okay. And you can plot that as a graph, so what I'm trying to do is, at the moment, what, what happens is you plot that, you record someone doing a lesson or learning something, and you plot what they have said and done mm-hmm. as this semantic profile or wave. All right. What I want to do is I want to be able to predict what that wave is going to be. So I want to be able to say, I'm going to give you a lesson in 20 minutes about mm-hmm. the photoelectric effect, whatever, and you, will, and you will go from concrete to abstract to concrete again in the first five minutes and then you will do this profile in the next five minutes and that is the best way to learn that thing. Okay. So the change is going to be the profile. Yep. And then the, the, the research is going to be how people learn from that particular profile. So are you giving students a well-crafted lesson and comparing it to students that have been given not so good lessons? Not, not at the moment. Okay. Not at the moment. <laughs> so I've got to, I've got to design yeah. the, the, lesson on that thing with a profile mm-hmm. to do that i've got to measure the profile so i understand the elements of the profile yeah so right at the beginning and the first thing i'm going to do is is basically sit the students down not change anything and say what is it about that that made you learn that and then i can start saying you know if they say oh it's the way you said it so this the students are indicating where the gravity is or is this do you get the yeah. linguist on board to 
So this, the students will say something, and then we use this tool to analyze All right. what they've said in terms of this semantic yeah. gravity. I just love the idea that they've used the word gravity, <laughs> and it's kind of serendipitous. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of on purpose, but it's kind of yeah. serendipitous, but it actually fits. Like, and there's, <laughs> there's other ones like semantic density as well. And you can yeah. imagine what that means, right? Yeah. So a dense word has a lot in it. So like, is, There's a lot of stuff in it. Is this knowledge being used to train educators and communicators? Because, I mean, I've done lots of teaching at universities and things, but I was never taught how to teach. Oh. I was just, uh, I had expertise in the field. So oh, I said, you probably Teach did a course kids on, what you know. You probably did a, like a one hour course on something, right? Yeah, but I was like, like how to log into your marking system <laughs> yeah. and things. Yeah, 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 yeah. It wasn't about how to actually but, transmit but you, concepts. But you, you know. know a good presentation when you see one. Only instinctively. And that's, that's very subjective. Well, is, but it is, right? But also everybody knows a good presentation. Mm. Um... You know, Dr. Carl presents very, very well. Mm. There are very few people who who would say, oh, he's rubbish at presenting. <laughs> sure, they're there, but there'd be very few people. Yeah. And what he does is he goes through this wave of, um, you know, teachers do it and a TED Talk, they train you to do that. They train you, mm. to, you start up here and then you bring them down and you go back up there. It's not quite the same thing, but it's yeah. the same principle. You take them on a you know roller coaster journey of emotions through mm. a TED Talk. Um, I guess that makes me wonder whether that's something I am unintentionally doing yeah, I would in say a lecture so. or a yeah. podcast. Or I would say so. I would say so. I don't know but if I'm, I want to get that data. I might, <laughs> I might learn some things about myself. <laughs> but I'm, I'm just trying to see if that works for you know formal education. Mm. Uh, it works for a good presentation. But I'm not trying to do a TED Talk when I teach people about quantum mechanics. I'm not trying to do... A TED Talk. I'm not mm. trying to do a presentation or a documentary. I'm trying to teach them something. Yeah. And I want to know if this actually teaches people. Mm. So these, you know, some linguists at... You know, there's one person using it in to, to make ballet teaching better. This, this tool to teach ballet what better. They say to... I, I, have, no, I have no idea. Mm. I've not talked to this person. But they, was, they were saying... You know, cognitive load theory can be used to teach ballet, and we've got someone who teaches ballet using cognitive load theory. I think it's fascinating. Yeah. I'm going to talk to that person. I mean, it's interesting because I... I don't know if I should admit this on the podcast, but I, I do acrobatics yeah, right. as a sport. Yeah, sure. <laughs> and it's, it's something that I took up as an adult, so it's been very difficult to learn. And it's funny because, now that you mentioned that, how a person phrases to do something actually has a huge effect yeah. on your ability to learn the move you know mm-hmm. a, a person will uh, describe a, how to do a back somersault and one person will say all right concentrate on uh keeping your feet together mm-hmm. because that's what makes sense to them yeah that's what helped them refine the move in their head mm-hmm. whereas another person will say uh, no, and then your first jump, look at that spot on the wall. Mm-hmm. And there's different ways of, of getting your mind in the right space. And at any point in learning these things, one person will just say that one thing that clicks and makes sense to mm-hmm. you. Mm-hmm. And is that a, a, a personal thing? Yeah. Or is that about how solid or how much gravity 
Mm. Their explanations have. But do you think if that person went up to anyone on the street and said, the trick to a backflip is mm. do this one thing, that clicked for you, but then they're not going to be able to do that backflip straight away. Yeah. So it's not that thing. It's that thing at that time mm. in that you know situation. And I think that's important too. Mm. So I think that goes into this uh, semantic profile of teaching quantum mechanics. You know, I've, I've got an experiment that I'm going to use. It's, it's a quantum mechanics experiment. Mm. And it, I would like to be able to break it down to that level to say, is it that thing that I said at that time that changed the, the profile of this lesson? Mm. And did that change how they learned it? So, for example, I could say, you know, a sentence and then show a demonstration or show a demonstration and say the sentence. Mm. Does that change how they learn things? There's got to be so much variation that has to be. per student. There has to be. Yeah. But still, you know, I see two and a half thousand of these data points every year. Yeah. S- students, sorry, students. <laughs> Human beings. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so I can make generalizations. Yeah. I should be able to make generalizations. Great. Is it terrible that as soon as you mentioned linguistics, my frame of reference went straight to Arrival? Arrival. The movie Arrival. Oh, I've not seen that. You haven't seen Arrival? No. Ah, oh, you'd love it. Oh, right, no, that one. Yeah, yeah. No, I haven't seen it, but I, w- I do want to. It's yeah. an amazing science fiction film that, after watching it, I realized it was a movie about linguistics. Really? It was so cool. Because <laughs> it, you know, the, the idea is that aliens come to Earth and this is the first contact yeah. thing. And then most of the narrative of the, of the movie is a, a, a linguist trying to figure out how to communicate. Yeah. With these creatures that have a totally different yeah. um, nice. language and and uh, the concept of time huh. comes into it. And the fact that the way that we express time in a language mm-hmm. was different to how they express time in their language. Wow. And it makes such a huge difference cool. in the perception of the universe around us. And yeah, right. I recommend it okay. if you haven't seen it. <laughs> um, I like the idea, though, that when, it, when I first made... Made that that link between physics education and linguistics. Mm. I mean, it's a linguistics tool. It's not linguistics. It's a linguistics tool that I think can be applied to many things like physics and ballet and mm. um, you know how students learn. And they're use, they're using this tool to analyse how students learn. So mm. I'm just going to do that in a, diff, in a different context. Yeah. And I thought to myself, is this really science now? Is this physics? Or is it linguistics? Am I going to walk away with a PhD in linguistics? Yeah. And I think, but but that was a nanosecond of a thought because no, I'm not. I'm still doing you know, an experiment. It's still mm-hmm. a physics experiment. It's in physics education, yeah. which you know you can argue is different to um, high school education, or it's different to. Uh, well, actually, you can. There's there's literature that says it is different <laughs> to mm. law education or. Arts, arts education. But what I really like about it is it's bringing knowledge in from other places. And that's mm. happening more and more at universities. Like they're building buildings now, like the Sydney Nanoscience Hub or the Charles Perkins Centre, which are multidisciplinary, mm. which, which make sure they bring in other things from other places to get better results, to yeah. get better research. So I'm really happy with the idea that I'm doing a physics education project using tools from outside physics mm. i think that's pretty cool if it works it's great yeah <laughs> if it doesn't you know 
whatever. That's <laughs> science. Yeah, exactly. How many PhDs end with? And the conclusion is, don't do it the way I did it. <laughs> well, that's a totally valid. It's a result. Result that should be published. Absolutely. Every null result. Absolutely. Needs to be published. <laughs> I was going to ask to about the science march. Yeah, right. Recently, there was the big event, the mm-hmm. worldwide march for science. Mm-hmm. I'm imagining that you were pretty excited and involved. Yeah, I was. About that, so yeah. you were in the Sydney march. I was. How did that go? It was really cool. Yeah. Um, you were up here then, weren't you? Yeah. Okay. We had a little tiny science march did you? here in Armitage. That's so awesome. It still happened, just not as big as Sydney. Uh, that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was really cool. Um, the point, the point was to, you know. For for me anyway, I can speak for myself. The point for me was to to be there amongst people who care about this sort of stuff. Mm. So now, if anyone wants to know who cares about science, the first place they can go is people who marched. Mm. They care. They care about science in many different places: in culture, in politics, mm. in um, in government, in funding, in mm. you know, in friendship, communities. These people care. Well, because the movement sort of started with the idea that we'll get scientists on the streets, and then it turned out that most of the crowds were not scientists at all, but people that cared. I think I think there were a lot of scientists, mm. but there were also a lot of people who were, you know, science appreciators and science mm. enthusiasts. Um, oh, absolutely! It was it was magnificent. I I loved it. I was walking or marching through the streets and every two minutes I bumped into someone that I knew and it just feels great Mm. I mean that's going to be hard to get to get scientists angry (laughs) not angry but vocal that's one of the that's one of the uh, I tweeted that I tweeted I can't believe I have to march for facts (laughs) why do I have to be here why do I have to march to say listen to facts yeah like that's ridiculous Mm. But there we were, we were marching to make sure that there's more facts mm. in society. And and I appreciate there were some people who didn't march and they didn't want to march because they think that... I was having arguments with people about it because I think it's fascinating. But they didn't want to march because they don't want the March for Science to be only uh, an insular echo chamber of people self-interested because, mm. you know... It's it's a great point. If you don't, if if a scientist marches for science for more funding, they're benefiting from that, right? Yeah. It's not really it's not conflict of interest, but they're certainly doing it for their their own benefit amongst other things. But but there's there's more to it than that. And I appreciate that people didn't want to march for that reason, and that's fine. Um, but I think the proof was in the fact that there was close to five thousand people there mm-hmm. marching for a whole bunch of different reasons. Uh, it was a great success. Hmm. I think it was a great success. I should have asked before we started, are you still a member of the Science Party? Or yeah, Or has PhD am. taken over? No, no, still <laughs> yeah. a member of the Science Party. So, for people that didn't listen to the last one, brief summary, the Science Party is a political party? Yep, it's a micro-party in, in Australia where it's a federal science federal political party. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the idea is to have evidence-based policies. Mm-hmm. Um, now we have a bunch of policies which are, you know, science friendly and others that you wouldn't think normally a a science party would have. Mm. Like, sure, we've got a science policy, which is essentially 
you know, more money for science. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> um, but we have, you know, an education policy, a space policy. We have a policy about treaty. Uh, mm. We have childcare policy. We have uh, immigration policy. We mm. have all these different policies, and we come at it from an evidence point of view. Mm. So what we do periodically is we go through all of our policies and try and... Essentially, you go through and you put down, you know, the Wikipedia citation needed things. Mm. And if you can't find that citation, you take that bit out. Yeah, and if you yeah. find more research, you, you update your, your policy based on the research. Which, so, in a perfect world, would be every political party's... In a perfect world, that would be every political <laughs> really. party. Yeah. And we're, we're, we're very open and happy and proud to say, you know, our policy has changed now because mm. of new information we have. Or better information that we have. Mm. Um, you know, recently we've had a... Um, like a policy-focused meeting where we invited some uh, education experts to talk about education and how education policy should look like from their point of view mm. or something like that. Now, I'm not saying other political parties don't get experts to tell them about it, um, but we're very proud and um, loud about the fact that we do think experts' opinions are good. Mm. So the first thing that happened after that is we started talking about our education policy and how it needs to change. So did the party itself have a presence at the march? Yes. Yes, it did. How did that go down, uh, being a political yep. body? That depends on who you ask. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you'd be surprised if you didn't have a presence at a march for science. Yes, of course. But then I guess lots of people are of the opinion that science isn't, shouldn't be political. Uh, science is absolutely political. Yeah. And I, I said that... In the last, last podcast. <laughs> I think that was my opening question. Yeah, yes, exactly. <laughs> um, uh, every, every scientist has to deal with, you know, either internal politics or, mm. you know, if you're, if you're applying for ARC grant and you don't get it, you know, there are a number of reasons for that and sometimes it's political. Mm. Like we, we have changed what we think is important now in at a policy in, level. In a policy level. So yeah. we don't fund some things or we do fund other things for reasons. There are reasons and some of them are political. It is mm. absolutely political. Um, you know, the idea that some people think we should research climate um, change research or, you know, fundamental climate change research versus um, climate solutions. They're different. Mm. And the money goes to the climate solutions. Yeah. But we still haven't figured out exactly what we need to solve yet. Um, so that and that's a political decision. Yeah. Like the, yes, there is consensus, but there there are always change. You can't just stop researching the climate because it's changing. You can't just say, "All right, we've figured that out. Yeah. Um, let's think of solutions now." Well, that solution that you come up with might not work anymore. Yeah. So uh, that's a political decision. Mm. So for someone to say that science isn't political is, uh, I think that's a bit of a naive question, a naive comment. So what, did you get criticisms from having a presence yep. at the yes, march? Yes, we did. Um, uh, but that's okay. People are allowed <laughs> I mean, to... What, what could they possibly say? I mean... So one of the comments, one of the criticisms was that um, it's, it's a non-partisan event. Mm. So why would the science party have a presence there? Mm-hmm. I think it was more about the organization. So there were some science party members who were on the organizing committee of oh, okay. the March for Science in a couple of places around Australia. 
Um, America doesn't have a science party mm-hmm. or, a, or a political surprise, party surprise. That, yeah, <laughs> that calls themselves a science party. Um, or even if they did, they weren't on the organizing committee for the March for Science. Yep. Um, I think that's completely fine. The, we, we got a tiny bit of criticism, and I don't even really want to talk about it because it's, it gives air to this criticism, mm-hmm. which is the conflict of interest of someone in a political party who's also on the organizing committee for a nonpartisan march. Any conflict of interest was declared. Yeah. They even, they even abstained from votes about stuff that happened that had any political nature in the organizing committee for the March for Science. Mm. But like you said, it would be a bit silly if the March for Science happened and the Science Party wasn't there. Yeah. We were even asked, like, directly, will the Science Party have banners and T-shirts at the site? And we, my answer was, yes. Yes, they will. <laughs> Makes perfect sense. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I'm biased, obviously. <laughs> I, I, and I think it's fine. I think it's fine that people criticize... Um, uh, the greatest comment about that was that it was a huge success. Mm. And, and that kind of shuts down that argument. We, we, we were there and we did really well. Mm-hmm. Um, the event did really well and that answers the question of, should the science party be there? Yes, yes, they yeah. should. Because <laughs> we were and it was awesome. Mm. Yep. I mean, it's been less than a year since you were last on this podcast. Mm-hmm. I feel like the world has changed a lot since then <laughs> what's going to happen next year i mean is this how has this affected your your motivation is is it give you some extra motivation to to be more outspoken is it a bit defeating is it no i don't think so i'm getting it's it's a, it's a very weird thing to decide to Join a political party and then talk about that. Yeah. Like, I think there are lots of scientists. I'd be terrified. Yeah, yeah. I think there are lots of scientists <laughs> who would in clandestine, or is that the word? In clandestine or clandestine? Incognito. Oh, wow. Finish the whatever. sentence. What are you trying to say? Um, yeah. Who would join a political party but not talk about it. Like yeah. behind closed doors. Yeah. You know, Card carrying member of a political party but wouldn't go trumpeted around. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm getting more confident with that because I think it's really important I think it's important yeah I was even saying to some friends this evening that you know I can I can be a vegetarian which is not impacting on the climate like that what can you do to save the save the world Mm. climate change and stuff and I can be a vegetarian I can not wash my towel every five minutes and I can (laughs) I can use uh, recycled material recycled materials reuse you know all of that Mm. sort of stuff which I do but I think a bigger impact, and I've not got the numbers, and I'm going to try and find out the numbers, you know, citation needed. Um, <laughs> I, I think a huge impact is to get involved in politics and change the way mm. that we do climate change or the way that we do funding research. That's, that's a huge impact as well. Well, that's a never-ending criticism of politics is that politicians are business people, economists, maybe law mm-hmm, mm-hmm. people very few scientists artists psychologists yeah yeah it's very low representation of society in in politics mm-hmm. 
And and probably just a whole lot of narcissists in politics. <laughs> I don't know. Even even if they are though, I would I would hope that they surround themselves with scientists and artists and creators mm. and and psychologists and teachers and mums and dads and mm. you know society like Neil deGrasse Tyson says. Mm. You know, in politics, you've got the business and law and the you know where's the rest of humanity yeah. in our representation? They represent us, but they're not representative of us yeah. so hopefully these people are amongst the decision makers mm. it, at the moment it seems like they're not um, but but I, I'm, I'm confident to stand up and say I would like to be part of that mm. even if I don't, I don't need to be elected right but um, I would like to have an influence yeah however and small it would be we're talking about being vulnerable when you put yourself out there mm-hmm. into a, a a spokesperson position almost uh-huh. are you getting better at you know being having iron skin uh, or were you just invulnerable to begin with no I'm not invulnerable <laughs> I think that my the approach I'm using at the moment, and I've not had to put up with much at all, mm-hmm. really. I mean, a few a few comments on Twitter mm-hmm. that hassle you for being, you know, wasting your time, whatever, you know, silly silly comments. But you, I just respond to that with with uber niceties, mm-hmm. and that kind of shuts it down because you know, they want an argument. Mm-hmm. So if someone says something insulting or offensive or wrong, I don't want to just comment saying well don't you know that's wrong you just say oh thanks for your opinion you know mm. we'd yeah. love to know do you want to come and hang out at our meetings and talk about this and they never do <laughs> um or or if you're at an end at the end of a conversation where you can see the other person's going to you know troll mode you can't you can, feed the trolls you can't feed it you just say oh, that was great you know one of them i finished with oh, like it's cool it's cool that two you know, people can disagree. I'd like, you know, I would have loved to have marched with you through George Street or through Pitt Street in Sydney, but <laughs> sounds like you're not going to. Um, yeah. Maybe we can meet up again some other time at a different event. You know, and that's super nice and super calm, mm. and then you just hear nothing. Yeah. So I'm responding with to anything like that with just being nice, mm. and that fits into a nice like that's don't be a dick. Like, why do you why do you have to be a dick? <laughs> don't be a dick. <laughs> just be nice to people. It's funny, I, I don't know if I used this analogy when we last spoke, but I was talking about the, the strange position the world is in at the moment, where we have extreme mm-hmm. views really coming to the forefront, mm-hmm. and and my sort of mantra is one that I got from a, a, a country western band that I saw <laughs> that opened a song... With this little story about the best... No, what do they say? Breaking up with someone is like knocking over a vending machine. Mm-hmm. You really got to get that thing rocking before it falls over. <laughs> I feel like politically, ideologically, we're kind of in that stage. Right. Where we're swinging to the left and we're swinging to the right. And at some stage, something big's going to happen and the vending machine's going to fall flat in its face. Yeah, but then all the the st- the candy, what what candy? I'm going to use that word. But all the you know the Mars bars and stuff will, will come out of there. It's going to be beautiful. It's going to be really. Well, nice. you just hope it lands on the right side. Yeah, I where guess you can so. get the candy out. I guess so. 
And nobody gets hurt in the process. <laughs> yeah, well, that's the yeah. good one. <laughs> Didn't think about that. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if that's a useful <laughs> um, analogy. I th- it goes in waves, right? Yeah. It, it's ups and downs. So I, I think it's it's funny that we're, you know, a couple of... Ten years ago, we were thinking, how can we have a worse world where <laughs> where seem- seemingly idiots are in charge of of yeah. you know, countries and politics to now <laughs> yeah. where we almost wish that they were back. Yeah. But we won't get too morose mm. about things because as, as we have crazy ideological views coming out, I think there's there's there is more of a there there's people fighting it, I think. Yeah, th- and, and there's people fighting it on all sides. And especially for people like us who are doing outreach. Yay. And communicating in ways such as your Stempunk mm-hmm. podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the things Stempunk does is these live quiz nights. Mm-hmm. Have you got any more of those coming up? So, yes, we were trying to arrange uh, arrange one in June. Mm-hmm. But that, uh, that particular one won't happen. But perhaps there's going to be another one in June. Yep. You'll have to ask Shane. He's... Um, Shane is uh, organizing master of ceremonies the the it? events this time mm-hmm. um, I did it last year at Shane's turn this year <laughs> um, but yeah he, he wants to he wants to have a crack at it and that's that's awesome yeah but yeah we'll, we'll have a couple of shows we've got a, a science week show that we've we've got happening as well uh, which will be in the Tuesday of science week so August 20, mid-August yeah somewhere Something around like August that. yeah I can't remember. Uh, yes, a similar kind of format, you know, um, quiz night kind of semi-panel show, semi-entertainment, semi-variety, mm. uh, totally preaching to the choir kind of thing. But you need that, <laughs> and I'm I'm totally cool with that. Yeah, um, cool panel members, fun questions, fun times, cool games, that sort of thing. Yeah, it is it is hard to get out of the the echo chamber. Yep, as you're saying. Yep. And I think like I feel like it's getting harder because mm-hmm. consumption of media is becoming so tailored. I think to do it, you need a platform. Mm. You need to have already a profile. Yeah. Um, and uh, we don't. I don't have a profile at the mm. moment. No one knows about steampunk. Some people know. Not a lot of people. <laughs> Any minute um, now, it's going to explode. Yeah, any minute now. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, when when Stempunk is huge, yep. any minute now, yeah, um, then we'll be able to preach to the non-converted. Well, not preach, yeah. but, um, talk to people who. But so no one's going to listen. If I go up to you know, Mister John Q. Public, mm-hmm. and say. You need to listen to this. They're gonna no. They're gonna waste their time something, yeah. on something that they don't know or don't care about. Mm. So we have to make them care about it in other ways. Care about it because it's popular, or care about it because um, it made this comment, or care about it because for some other reason. Mm. So, um, so in a Science Week event, I mean, I think Science Week is all about yeah. the in jokes and the echo chamber and. <laughs> And it's uh, it doesn't need it's to be indulgent. Apolog- a it is. Bit, it yeah. is. It doesn't need to be apologetic about that. Yeah, mm. really not. Um, you know, look at the uh, French Film Festival. 
or Russian Film Festival, whatever. Mm. There's a lot of Russians at the Russian Film Festival. <laughs> uh, there's a lot of French people at the French Film Festival. Yeah. It's an in crowd. Yeah. It's a click to say, we're celebrating this thing and that's awesome. I'm cool with that. Yeah. Um, you know, in the meantime, I'm trying to find ways to do science communication mm. uh, in other ways. The other event that I think you'll love this, that we're running in Science Week, is with, it's a collaboration with the Inner West Community Band in Sydney. So there's, you know, Marrickville, Summerhill, Dulwich Hill, kind mm-hmm. of. There's this wind band who we've, uh, and this is with the Science Week as well, Sydney Science Festival, um, who are going to do a sci-fi tribute concert awesome yeah and, and we're hosting it <laughs> all right so it, will this be a podcast yep well, all right yep. so next month they're starting to rehearse so every rehearsal or some of the rehearsals i'm going to go along and start interviewing the band members <laughs> listening to how they rehearse and kind of put together a story yeah. and then at the end we record some of the songs record the intros we record you know all of that and then after that still doing science week we'll release this podcast to say this is our collaboration mm. and it's awesome so we're going to have the Star Trek theme song, Doctor Who, all the, all the classics. All the classics. Um, <laughs> but they're still in, in um, they're still trying to figure out the last two or three. But mm. uh, hopefully uh, the Red Dwarf theme song, <laughs> which is amazing. I guess um, go for some deep cuts. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, we're having a conversation with uh, one of the organizers of the, uh, of the concert, a good friend of mine. And she was saying... Oh, you know, I'm just going to contact Howard Goodall, the guy who wrote the theme song for Red Dwarf, <laughs> and amazing composer and beautiful, uh, um, you know, music mm. historian and theoretician and all that. Just an amazing person. Um, she said, "Yeah, I'm just going to email Howard Goodall and see if he can give us the the score for it." <laughs> oh, that's <laughs> get him so on the podcast. Cool. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Absolutely, it's the first thing I said. Yeah, I mean, your podcast does. Uh, sort of highlight the intersection of art and science in a lot of ways. Yeah, sometimes uh, directly, because mm. we ask people, what about the A in STEAM, you know? <laughs> um, I think it's important. So, yeah, that's, that's the other event we're doing. It's going to be super fun. Yeah. And I have a theremin, so I have told <laughs> Are you them... Are going to be in the orchestra? I would... Yeah, I've told them I want <laughs> to be able to play something with a theremin. You have to have a theremin at sci-fi concert, oh, yeah. Right? Um, so I'm, I'm boning up on my theremin skills <laughs> to see if I can make the cut. <laughs> uh, great. Well, I wanted to ask, because you, at these STEM punk events, you are the quiz master. And I was, you, yes. You run the, the trivia section. I just so happened to have picked up the Armadale Express Extra. Okay. I want to do tests. Okay, oh, your no, trivia yeah. skills. We, we were at a trivia night last night. Um, at, <laughs> How uh, did you go? Uh, we came middle of the road, which I think is alternative facts. I think we did really well. And um, uh, we were listening to the scores, and we didn't even hear our team name. So I think I think it was made up. I, I think we did really really well. It was what, fun anyway. Was fun. Have you got a go-to trivia team name? Uh, no, this was. Um, I think it was Science Propriety Limited. I think something boring like that. <laughs> yeah, Trivia Newton, John's taken. You can't, yeah, can't do that one you anymore. You can't have that name anymore. It's old. Yeah. Right, right, we've got some easy one-pointers. Okay. Some not-so-easy three-pointers. And some tough five-pointers. All right, here we go. There are 60 questions. I might take... <laughs> I, won't, I won't do all of them. I might um, take some of these and uh, use them in the next, in the next all right, quiz. Uh, what can I do? All right, 
Easy one-pointers are very, very easy. Uh, what type of creature is a semoyed? A, a what? A sem- semoyed. Semoyed. Is it a dog? Yes. Nice. Very good. I assume I haven't looked at the answers. <laughs> okay. um, yeah, let's say yes. All right. Um, here you go. What is the smallest planet in the solar system? The smallest planet in the solar system? Yeah. Oh, I'm assuming we're not counting Pluto anymore. <laughs> I'm assuming the Armadale Express is up to date. With... <laughs> it's from 1996. <laughs> I think it was 92, actually. Uh, Mercury. Uh, yes, that is correct. Good okay. job. Good, good. Um, what accessory identifies video game character Miss Pac-Man as being Bow-tie. female? Ah, nailed it. Good. All right. They were, uh, <laughs> they were easy one-pointers. I mean, some of them are stupid. How many letters in the English alphabet? Yeah. Okay. You surely you know that one. Twenty-six. Good. Okay. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you just went really quiet all of a sudden. <laughs> all right. Not so easy. Three pointers. All right. Ah, one of the first animals in outer space was Laika. What type of creature was she? Laika was a dog. Do you know yeah. what Laika means? Uh, oh, I get to ask about... the quiz question now. What does Laika mean in Russian? Uh, I know there's an animation studio called Laika. Really? Yes. Is it like a dog? Is that what? <laughs> well, it's spelled the same as Laika the okay. dog. Maybe they named it after the first dog in space. Probably. Or is it something to do with light? Nope. All right. What's it? <laughs> Laika means barker. Apparently the dog oh, wouldn't really? shut up. <laughs> I don't know. Well, it a... did eventually shut up. <laughs> oh, yeah. It didn't when it back. didn't come back, oh. yeah. Poor Laika. Poor Laika, indeed. <laughs> Well, the animation studio is great. Yeah, sure. <laughs> They're the ones that made Paranorman and Caroline, uh, and okay, they cool. d- they're just pushing the limits of stop motion. Yeah, great. Uh, I'm a f- I'm a fan. <laughs> All right, um, what do we got? What is another video game one? Uh, what type of creature is the video game character Sonic? As a hedgehog. Good, easy. <sighs> I got to give you some hard ones. Um, how many letters are there in the? Arabic alphabet. Oh, wow. Well, this is going to be a complete guess. I'm going to say 24. Really? 24. Ah, 28. Oh, wow. The other way. Plus one, 20, <laughs> plus 26 two. plus or minus 2. What's your standard deviation on these? <laughs> um, oh, here's another one. Name the largest asteroid in the solar system. Uh, series? Uh, it's hard to C-E-R-E-S. read upside down. R-E-S. Yep, correct. Cool, cool. Good. All but one so far. All right, tough five pointers. Here we go. Um, okay. See, how did we not win last night with, with, <laughs> with my trivia chops? I know, I know this one. Okay, the Invisible Children charity produced a viral video in an attempt to capture which Ugandan warlord. The Invisible Children Charity. And it was in 2012. It was a crazy marketing disaster. Oh, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, do you not remember Coney 2012? No, I don't. <laughs> How do I know this? And I've asked a couple of people about this. There's a strange Ugandan dictator called... Oh, I should check his name. Anyway, 45. Joseph Coney. Mm-hmm. And these... This bloke from America decided he was going to change the world with this strange uh, short film, but also 
awareness campaign about this dictator, Joseph Kony. So he made this film and started selling uh, wristbands and posters. And they're all emblazoned with this phrase, Kony 2012. And it was going to raise awareness of this terrible dictator and get him kicked out of power. Yeah. And then it came out that he was taking all these donations or, or all the all the proceeds from the wristbands and the film and everything yeah. and not doing anything with it. Sure. And he was trying to justify it as in, well, it's going to awareness and once we get all this money, there's going to be more videos and more awareness and it's all going to be great. And So much awareness. Well, and... <laughs> It started off as this very empowering, let's all get together and stop this guy, and turned into a total backlash wow. against this somewhat unhinged self-promoter yeah. making these videos, and it was a complete disaster. Right. And a couple of days later, he just rocked up and naked on a San Francisco sidewalk, screaming into the intersection. He just had a total breakdown wow. because of the backlash. Wow behind this thing and that was the last we ever heard of Kony wow. 2012 <laughs> I don't remember that I don't know why it was such a big part of my 2012 following this saga sure anyway <laughs> that was a tough five pointer that was good <laughs> so you got that right so you're on five points and I have uh, probably six points so that see that's maybe this is where I fall down in trivia I know one pointers <laughs> <laughs> we're already into one of the top five pointers <laughs> And you got, you got, well, the second load were three pointers. Okay. So you're probably on 12 or something. Okay. For those um, of you keeping score. <laughs> what have we got? Oh, this one, this one you'll know. Which popular science journalist published the book Fifty Shades of Grey Matter? Carl. Dr. Good. Carl. Dr. Carl. Brilliant. I have a signed copy. <laughs> <laughs> I think I've got a signed copy of Disinformation. From from like a nineties or something. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> something like that. Um, all right, is that a five pointer? Yeah. Wow. Well, we're, we're we're in the we're in the in the echo chamber. We're in the Dale. <laughs> uh, as part of an art installation at the Museum of Modern Art in 2013, actress Tilda Swinton slept in what? I heard about it. When you say it, I'll remember it. But <laughs> I, I don't know it. But I don't all. know it. Let me have a guess. I will say a cage. Or is that... No, no, no. That was um, Shia LaBeouf. He did that. He lived in a cage, I'm sure. It's a paper, a paper bag. I don't know. Uh, it's a glass box. A glass box. It's pretty... It's, I feel like that's been done before. Someone slept in a cage. Yeah, sure. Uh, wasn't there a magician that lived in a... Glass box above the Thames. Oh, yeah, that was uh, David Blaine or something like that. Yeah. yeah. Artists. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, one more then. Sure. Um, I'm going to find a good one. What is unusual about the Japanese, Japanese Densuke watermelon? Is that the one that is uh, green on the inside and red on the outside? There's, really? Well, hey, let me check. <laughs> Um, let me turn this right. No. Okay. It has no stripes on its skin. Its skin is black. Ooh. But there I didn't go. know there was an inverted... 
I thought I, I thought I read something somewhere that you can get an inverted watermelon. I know you can get cube watermelons. Well, that would have been my guess, is the cube ones. Yeah. Which I think are just grown in boxes. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and they're inedible because they're not ripe. <laughs> ah, Apparently right. they can't ripen in boxes. Well, that was pretty good. Up until the tough five pointers. <laughs> five pointers. <laughs> you, can, you can have that. Oh, thank if you. you I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to source them. want to brush up on your skills. <laughs> I will. I will definitely take some of these questions. I can see some. There's the the big merino there. There's definitely a question. About yeah, that. that was too easy. I wasn't going to ask. What the big <laughs> merino is. All right. Well, we are almost go. at an hour. Great. So I should probably let you drive back to Sydney or something. I might. We? I might uh, drive back to Sydney tomorrow. Okay. I might. <laughs> Do you need a place I'll, to stay? I'll sleep. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thanks so much. For coming on Tom. No, that was fun. Uh, Dual podcasting again. Yeah. Well we'll keep this a a regular thing. Yeah, yeah. I should mention too, we're hopefully gonna do a live podcast recording of in situ science mm-hmm. uh, during Science Week. Uh, so hopefully during Science Week with your events and my events we'll all catch up mm-hmm. again and it's featuring some of Stempunk as well in your yes, science. So Shane's gonna be on a panel. Great. It'll, it's going to be in a pub, so maybe you want to come along and do trivia for us. Yeah. Something cool. Let's do something cool. <laughs> All right. Sounds good. All right. Cool, uh, cool. If you want to follow Tom on Twitter, I am Gordos, which is G O R D E A U Z. And you have a Stempunk Facebook page. Stempunk Facebook page, Stempunk on Twitter, which is Stempunk3. Yep. Because there's three of us. Is that Not the because Stempunk 1 and 2 were taken. Okay. <laughs> That's what everybody assumes. You know? Yeah. <laughs> well, also, the 3 looks like an S, so it's Stempunks. So it's Stempunk 3. 3 is the S. All right. Good. Um, uh, yeah, and Stempunk on iTunes and... Everywhere. Stitcher and... Yeah. Everything... Podcast apps. Everything but Google Play, because Google Play doesn't work in Australia yet. Oh, yes. That's right. Cool. All right. Uh, if you want to follow Institute Science, we're on at Institute Science, or we have a website, InstitutScience.com. We also have a brand new Institute Science Facebook page, so you can like us on there. Thanks again, Tom, for coming. Thank you so much. And thank you guys for listening. We'll see you soon. Bye.